Welcome everybody to another episode of Run Past the Brain Cell. I'm Adam Skirko, as always, joined by my co-host Jake Miller. Jake, we are heading into week 16 of the NFL season. Kind of unreal to say. How are we feeling so far? You are definitely right, Adam. It is definitely insane to think about that we barely... Well, we barely have done anything with this podcast, at least we think, but we're, what, almost 20 episodes in, and it feels like we should only be on episode five because of how quick the season is going for us. And both of our teams are not doing fantastic, but we didn't want to get our hopes up too high since Seahawks, Packers, they like two middle pack to upper tier teams, but definitely not one of the juggernauts. No, and I'm still bitter about you beating me last week in fantasy because I thought I was going to be really good and then James Cook decided to have the greatest game of his life. But we're both in the playoffs, so... And you have a tough matchup. I also have a tough matchup, but if we win, we're going to be facing each other in the playoffs and we get to record the podcast before that, so we'll be able to talk a little bit of shit to each other. But, Jake, we're going to start yep. things off. Uh, go ahead. No, I was just agreeing with you that we would be talking shit. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I will be texting you a lot. But we're going to start things off, Jake, with our Eyes on 5 recap of Week 15. Starting off with your first game, which was the Jets-Dolphins. And this was a game that I think you had said that this could be a trap game for the Dolphins, but <laughs> it was definitely not. New York falls to Miami, 30 to nada. Big old bagel for the Jets. And Jake, what were your takeaways from this game? <laughs> you know, my takeaways were that I thought, you know, Jets defense has been carrying them all year. They're a top five, top seven unit, so elite. And they're coming into this game going against the Dolphins who don't have Tyree Kill. I'm thinking like, Okay, they have a legit shot if Zach Wilson keeps up his performance from last week, but his O-line went to shit, and he went out with concussion. Something like, okay, never mind. Uh, Bradley Chubb made his life hell. Fucking three sacks by himself, and Brandon Jones finally kind of getting fully back from his injury from late last season. Got two picks, and he was like, all right, I'm back, bitches. Just in time, too, for the playoffs. And Raheem Mostert didn't get a lot going on the ground, but, I mean, when you get two touchdowns, who gives a shit? Tua was super accurate, like usual, 21 for 24, 224, and a touchdown. And all you saw from the Jets was their quarterbacks currently so much under duress. They're running for their life. Trevor Simeon, two picks. Uh, Even Garrett Wilson didn't really do anything, which that's saying something. And... I mean, at the end of the day, they couldn't get the run game going. Their quarterback, their main quarterback got injured. Their backup threw two picks. So, yeah, I can see why they got blown out 30-0. to zero. Well, not only that, Jake, but, I mean, they didn't even try and run the ball. They had 12 total carries for 23 yards. Brees Hall, 6 for 12. And then Israel Abakanda, he had 4 for 8. Um, so, I mean, two, car- two yards per carry, two yards per carry. Dalvin Cook had one for four, and that was the best rush by anyone. <laughs> I mean, and Xavier just Gibson, a, Jake. Or go ahead. Just to correct you, it's, bad, it's a bad Abanacanda, thank you. But, Jake, 
I thought this was also really telling. Tyler Conklin led the team in targets with seven. And then you had Xavier Gibson and Alan Lazard with six. Garrett Wilson had four. Now he caught three for 29, but I think that's a bit of an issue as well, Jake. Because if you're a backup quarterback, how can you not identify that Garrett Wilson is your best receiver? Alan Lazard is a at best a wide receiver three on a team. And Xavier Gibson, who has shown promise, he is primarily a punt returner. And Tyler Clark... Conklin, Jake, I don't think we've ever looked at him and thought, he's a really good tight end. He's just kind of a guy. Now, Trevor Simeon, he's not even, he's not concernable at all as a starter. He's barely a competent backup. 14 to 26, 110 and two picks. And Jake, he had 110 yards. They had a grand total as a team of 103 yards. Now, Miami's defense We've seen against bottom feeders, they can hold up pretty well, and that's why they also have a very big lead in the division, because all of their games, Jake, that they've lost, outside of the, that fall apart against the Titans, they've been undefeated against bottom feeders. But oh, easy. the biggest thing is, can they beat a competent team? Now, they have two very, very, actually three very big games heading into this, but you want to get good momentum when you're heading into big games. This was exactly what they needed. I mean, like you said, Raheem Mostert didn't get a ton on the ground. But Tua only having three incompletions, that really helps. You had a Mike White sighting, which lets you know that they were thoroughly in control. And Jalen Waddle, Jake, I think we've seen that Jalen Waddle hasn't really gotten his shine because of the fact that you have Tyreek Hill, who has been on this historic pace of trying to get to 2K. But because he was hurt, Jalen Waddle was able to establish himself and say, hey, I'm still that guy. Eight for 142 and a touchdown off of nine targets. So, I mean, you have that great of a catch, you know, percentage. And then Durham Smythe even got touches, Jake. Chase Claypool had two targets and two catches. <laughs> that... That right there lets you know that nothing was going the Jets' way if you have Chase Claypool looking I at can't even remember company. the last time I saw a stat line for Chase Claypool that wasn't like a tackle or something like that or trying to dip, get a fumble back for exactly. the Dolphins. Because I, I, I was trying to remember what team he was even on until I looked at the stat sheet. Yep. And for the Jets, Jake, I mean, this is just showing that all they've really had this year is Aaron Rodgers talking about coming back. And obviously, I don't think either of us really thought he could. But if he did, it would be like, oh, wow, this is amazing. And Zach Wilson, Jake, he just needs a fresh start. I mean, they're not going to bench him if he's healthy after that head injury that he suffered. If he is able to still play, he's going to because what else do you have? We saw that Trevor Simeon's nothing. And I think overall, Jake... This is going to fall. This might cost Robert Sala his job, which I think is really wrong because he's been really good. This defense has been really, really solid, but they've just been on the field so much. I mean, if you're on the field this much, what can you really do? It's just, it's unfortunate, but I think that for the Dolphins, if they can do this against... If you could see this against uh, Cowboys, a Ravens, a Bills, after how the Bills have been looking, 
I do think that we can then take Miami serious. But at this moment, I didn't learn anything from this game. But Jake, we're going to move no, on. No, it was just a one-sided ass beating. Exactly. And so, Jake, we're going to move on to my first game, which was one of the Saturday night games. And Jake, we were both wrong on this one. We had Denver beating Detroit, but not so fast. The Lions blowing out the Broncos 42-17. to And Jake, this was a game that the Lions pounced early. Yes, that was a cat pun. But you had Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery, only people to carry the ball. And David Montgomery had more run with the ball. He had 17 carries to Jameer Gibbs 11. But Jameer Gibbs took that 11 yards, got a hundred, 11 carries, got 100 yards, and he had a touchdown. And David Montgomery, he plowed forward to 17 carries for 85 yards. And Jared Goff was his usual efficient self. 24 34 278 yards and he had five touchdowns for a 134 passer rating Amon Ross St. Brown seven for 112 and a touchdown Sam Laporta Jake there have to be some real conversations of him potentially being the best tight end in football right now five catches 56 yards three touchdowns and he it seemed like he could not be covered once they got anywhere near the end zone, or just really anywhere around him. Now, Russ, he didn't necessarily play bad for the Broncos. 18-32, 223, and a touchdown. And they ran the ball okay, but nowhere near Detroit's efficiency, where Detroit had 6.6 yards per carry, Jake, whereas Denver had three. And Samaje Pirine was your leading rusher with six carries, 37 yards, I mean, and it really came down, Jake, that fumble by Russell Wilson really just turned everything on its head. Isaiah Bugs jumping on that just kind of killed any momentum they had. And then you have them score three different times for touchdowns, two of them that you could have had Sean Payton challenge. And then you get the touchdown on the dive to Michael Burton and yet, because of a offensive offsides by Quinn Miners, you don't have that, and you have Sean Payton screaming at Russell Wilson on the sideline. I think that what really hurt this team, Jake, what hurt the Broncos was the fact that their defense, which had been stopping people, they couldn't get any stops. They just plain could not get any stops. I think if they had been able to get the ball back just one of these times, it could have made a difference, but the Lions were 5 of 10 on third down, and they went one for one on fourth down, but you look at time of possession, it was 31 to 28, basically, about, you know, about 30-29-ish, but it didn't really matter because Denver had the ball more or later on because they were playing catch-up. Detroit had 448 total yards of offense, and this just killed the lie or the Broncos' chances of making the playoffs. I think that they can still sneak in, but this was a really big setback for them. Jake, what were your thoughts? Um, I, first off, I agree with you that if the Broncos are going to make the playoffs, this definitely shot their chances down a bit. Now, there is still a chance that they can get into the playoffs, but it's looking a bit rough for them right now because. If they would have won this game, they would be 8-6. and six. I think they'd be either the 5th or 6th. No, they probably would be the 6th or 7th seed. 
at that point. And I think the the one statistic that really kind of shows you that Ben Johnson's kind of back in his groove because they went through a slip, a kind of a skid with the Lions in, on offense and defense the last few weeks was seven yards per play. You're talking about two third. Every play was two thirds of a first down. A little bit more than that. While the Broncos only managed a four point six yards per play. And I think what really killed them was they couldn't get the play-action game going. We both know when Russell Wilson has a run game to support him and he has a play-action game that works, that's when he's at his most dangerous because he's throwing those 30 to 50-yard bombs that Corlin Sutton's just making into fucking magic. And Corlin had a good day as well. Five catches for 71 yards, no touchdowns, but I mean... Jerry Judy kind of showed out two, three catches for 74. That's kind of showing the deep speed a bit. But the rushing attack for the Lions just did what they had to do. 28 attempts for 185. And Jameer getting two touchdowns himself. And Jared Goff with five touchdowns. And And I agree with you. Sam Laporta is entering top five if not already in top five for best tight end in the league, because he's playing like a bat out of hell. I mean, here's okay. So I will give you this. Would you take the 1000 yard season Kyle Pitts had or Sam Laporta's season? Let's say he gets 850 yards and 11 touchdowns, maybe 900 yards. I would take Laporta's because what we've also seen Jake is not only has he had the success in the end zone, but we're also seeing that clearly Ben Johnson and the lions know what they have. Arthur Smith does not realize what he has with Kyle Pitts because he's so obsessed with Michael Pruitt and Jonu Smith, who I'm convinced Jonu Smith must have some juicy dirt on Arthur Smith. That's the only reason why he's getting so many touches. Oh, easy. And another thing is Sam Laporta is, I wouldn't say an amazing blocker, but he is a willing blocker. He's not like a Gronk or a eh, Mercedes Del- Lewis. I'd say, yeah, or Mercedes Lewis. Or hell, even if you kind of look at the rookie tight end freak of athlete that the uh, Steelers have. Darnell in, Washington. Yeah, the Washington kid. I think, though, you can't compare him to that type of blocker, but. He's at least willing to try to give Gibbs or Montgomery an extra lane or an extra couple, uh, an extra half second to kind of get into the right lane. So the edge or the blitzing safety cornerback or linebacker is not going to get them for like a no gain or a loss. But overall, I mean, you just kind of seeing this def- this team kind of get back on track. And the one thing that I'm I want more people to talk about is Amonra St. Brown deserves to be in the top ten wide receiver discussion, in my opinion. Cause the guy has 94 catches, eleven hundred and seventy-five yards, and seven touchdowns. And he's averaging twelve point five yards a catch, which you'll take that. He's not a deep threat. He's literally just a guy that can get open with his release package. And just say, fuck you. I'm shiftier than you. 
He's literally a shorter Devontae Adams, in my opinion, with his release package. And that is a lot of praise coming from me. What well, This is what I can tell you right now, Jake. If you ask me at this stage to pick between DK Metcalf or Amon Ross St. Brown, you know I'm a Seahawks fan and I love DK Metcalf. I would actually take Amon Ross St. Brown over him because we've seen that he's going to be used right. He's going to get open. He's going to make plays. And he he could get more yards than DK, which we've seen, because it seems like DK, while he is a pretty decent route runner, even though he is so muscle-bound, Amon Ross St. Brown has shown the ferocity run after catch that we just haven't seen from a DK Metcalf, but we've seen from like an AJ Brown. I think Amon Ross St. Brown and AJ Brown are very, very comparable. And I do think that Amon Ross St. Brown should be considered in the top 10 receivers because we've seen that he's also a willing blocker. He's going to get his touches, but he's also going to make sure that he gets, he gets running lanes open for Gibbs, for Montgomery. And when you have a team surrounded by Dan Campbell who are able to unite and sort of work together when it comes to the run game, the pass game, and everyone's a willing blocker, that is something that you can absolutely push forward and carry on to the playoffs. And that could lead them to potentially making a deep run. Now, can they beat a team that is, you know, a Dallas caliber or a San Francisco caliber? We'll have to wait and see. I think the Lions end up actually play Dallas next week. So we'll have to see what is look what it's looking like for those two teams after this week, after week 16. But Jake, moving on to your second game, another game we both got wrong. The Giants and the Saints, New York losing to New Orleans 24 to 6 in a game that was not at all close. Jake, this was your game. What were your thoughts on this? Uh, DeVito Magic ran out, and his O-line got him fucking killed. The Saints got seven fucking sacks. And you want to talk about getting their ass kicked on third down? This is one of the worst I've ever seen this season. They were two for 16 on third down. They went forward on fourth down five times they got three out of five which is decent but the fact they went for it five times that's the highest i've seen this year so far and if you actually look at total plays the giants had three more and time possession was not one-sided but 33 and a half minutes to 26 and a half minutes for the giants so it's kind of like okay another telling stat uh yards per play both were kind of low the Giants only managed 3.2, which is abysmal. And the Saints had a 5.1, which, not great, but you'll live with it. Derek Carr was accurate against a, I'd say a decent defense. Not an amazing, but a decent defense. And 218, three touchdowns, really good. Alvin Kamara finally averaging more than four yards a carry. And he was also your leading receiver, too. I mean... I'm not even going to tr- pronounce this guy's last name, but Passignon or something like that. He got three sacks by himself. And Brian Breesey, the fucking rookie, had two sacks. He went off. 
I think the thing that I'm kind of shocked by is where the hell was Cameron Jordan in this game? Was he out? Because I don't even see him on the stat line. But DeVito, 20 for 34, 177 yards. The thing is, he was your leading rusher. 36 yards on four attempts. Barkley had nine attempts for 14 yards. And Matt Breida, guy we haven't talked about it all this season because I forgot he was still in the league, got three for 10. And you got one sack off of a cornerback blitz with Jason Pinnock. Besides that, uh... (laughs) Not really much to talk about with this game, except the, the Saints held in there and beat a team they should have beat, and the Vito Magic ran out. We even saw Tyrod Taylor make an appearance. Yeah, this was a game, Jake, that I felt like the Giants really couldn't get anything going just early on because, I mean, DeVito, again, 20 of 34 for 177. That just lets you know that also 5.2 yards per attack you know, per completion, but their yards per attempt also wasn't that high because Jake, in order to beat this Saints team, you have to basically target their linebackers. Demario Davis is good, but he hasn't been the dominant linebacker that we expect him to be. P Werner's been very good, but not, you know, he's not a world beater. And we've seen that this secondary can be had. They're not great. We'll actually talk about them here in a few minutes about what happened this past Thursday night. But, Jake, I think for the Giants, I think overall they have a lot of issues, but their O-line has been solid, but not this game. New Orleans, again, I think Cam Jordan did miss this game. I believe last week we talked about how he was questionable heading into this game. And, hey, when you have the main leader of the defense gone but you're still able to get seven sacks eight quarterback hits and you're still able to deliver in this in this fashion that's amazing because that also lets you know that you could carry this and your division's god awful honestly jake would it shock any of us if the division winner for the nfc south finished eight and nine for with a negative record for the second straight year, I wouldn't be. Now, for the for the Saints, Jake, Derek Carr played well, but at the same time, we haven't seen Derek Carr really have these games where you expect a guy like him to be a very efficient, very effective quarterback. This is a rarity. And the Giants, we don't look at them as world beaters. Like you said, they have an okay defense, but they're not great. 23 or 28 for 218 and three touchdowns. I mean, I think what was more telling, Jake, is you have Alvin Kamara, who had a very solid workload and a very solid day. But, Jake, it's also concerning that Alvin Kamara having five targets. Now, he did have five catches, but then your next two target leaders who were tied with Kamara were Foster Moreau and Lynn Bowden Jr. Rashid Shahid had four, which, you know, at least that's something, but you're still throwing to guys that I wouldn't really hold necessarily in high regard. I mean, Foster Moreau, there's a little bit of a connection there because Derek Carr played with him in Vegas and in Oakland, but 
I don't know, Jake. I, when I look at the Saints, and like I said, we'll talk about them here again in a few minutes. I don't look at them as a team that's going to win this division because they are so inconsistent. Now, this entire division is, but the fact that they beat a Giants team, again, I don't really have much to take away because Tommy DeVito is a third-string quarterback that no one expected to play, and he has been playing well, but I don't expect anyone to play well if you get sacked seven times. And I especially don't expect anyone to play well when Saquon Barkley does a magical disappearing act and Matt Breida, you're basically handing it off to the corpse of Matt Breida. Tommy DeVito, Jake, I think he has a chance to bounce back this next week. We'll see if he plays because who knows, we might see Tyrod play. But overall, Jake, I think the Giants are looking to the offseason, potentially looking into drafting a quarterback and also drafting some skill position players because... How Jake, riddle me this. How many of these receivers on the Giants out of Darius Slayton, Wandell Robinson, Isaiah Hodgins, and Jalen Hyatt? Of those guys, how many of you do you think would start on like the Niners or start on the Jaguars or hell, even the Seahawks? Because I think the I only would one say that, two of them. I think the only one that I would take out of those four would maybe be Hyatt because of his speed. There is one other one I would take, and that is Hodgins, because I think he would be a really good, like, third... He'd be a really good number three or, like, that fourth receiver you bring in on Verts because of his size. And he's a hell of a... He's a pretty good willing blocker, too. Which, I mean, Shanahan with blocking wide receivers... <laughs> I'm pretty sure a Hodges would do really good in that offense. It's not, it's, if not only just as a blocker, but I don't think he'd we get start to, over Juwan Jennings. I, I don't think he'd probably start over not. Juwan Jennings. But um, before we get to the next game, we love our weird little NFL stats. You want to know one of the weirdest NFL stat lines I've seen for a season? Let's hear it. Jimmy Graham has six receptions on the year, 39 yards and. Four touchdowns. I, it shocks me every time I see that Jimmy Graham has a touchdown. And to be honest, at this point, I think that when I think of Jimmy Graham, I'm just going to think one yard pass touchdown. <laughs> that, that is basically yeah. what he has become synonymous with because <laughs> we saw, I mean, he was okay in Seattle, but they, but Pete Carroll doesn't know how to use a actual good physical weapon in the passing game because he saw Jimmy Graham and thought, oh, sweet, I have another offensive lineman. And then your Packers didn't do much with him either. No, but, they didn't. But we're going to move on to my second game, which I thought could be a very interesting little game. And it was for a little while. The 49ers and the Cardinals. Cardinals were only down by four at one point. It was only 14 to 10. But San Francisco, in true San Francisco fashion, stepped on the gas pedal and ended up clobbering Arizona 45 to 29. And Jake, Brock Purdy has this really weird thing where he goes up against teams that you could consider giving, giving this defense trouble. And yet he just decides four touchdowns. 
owns 64% completion, 242 yards, and he didn't get touched. He, no sacks, no picks, and no fumbles. No, no one fumbled. They didn't turn the ball over once. And Jake, Christian McCaffrey, I think, is the potential MVP candidate that we are sleeping on. 18 carries, 115 yards, and a touchdown, and then five catches, 72 yards, and two touchdowns. Led the team in recept in receptions and in receiving yards. And the only other person that had two touchdowns, Purdy's two touchdowns through the air, Debo Samuel. Thanks for the fantasy day, Debo. But Jake, I re the reason why I thought this could be a trap game is because divisional games are super difficult. And it seems like the Niners, I thought. After you drop 42 on an Eagles team that we thought was really, really good, I thought there could be a little bit of a letdown. San Francisco, Jake, is just showing us that they're on a different level from any team in this league. I think that this game this that we'll be talking about later is a Super Bowl preview because I don't see anyone in... I don't see a single team... In the NFC, that can beat this team. I just don't. Because now their defense hasn't been the dominant force that we expected it to be. This offense has been the telltale sign. But Jake, Charverius Ward had two picks and one of them he took back to the house. I do think that if there was something that would concern me about San Francisco, and it it's a little nitpicky, it would be their secondary because I think their D-line is dominant and their linebackers, they have the best tandem in Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw. I don't trust Diamador Lenore, nor do I really trust Jair Brown, though he has played well. I think you have one solid player there in uh, Charvarius Ward, but Jake... Outside of that, it's kind of nitpicking because I don't really see any weaknesses for the Niners. And then for the Cardinals, I mean, they're at least, what they can look forward to is, I believe, Jake, they have, what, the third pick? Third or fourth pick? I believe that they will probably end up taking Marvin Harrison Jr. Because what they really need is a receiver. Now, they were more efficient almost more efficient than the Niners on third down. Granted, the Niners only had seven and the Cardinals had 16, but the Cardinals also went three for four on third down. This seems a different breed with Kyler Murray. And Jake, this is the other reason why I'm concerned for the Niners. The Cardinals had 29, only 29 points, but they outgained the Niners 436 yards to 406 yards. In what world would you expect a three and 11 team again, even though they're a divisional team, in what world did you expect them to outgain the 49ers who have looked like machines? The Niners averaged seven and a half yards per play, which is phenomenal. Cardinals averaged 6.1. I think, Jake, oh, yeah. what I'm really curious about and what I want your thoughts are is the Niners, we think, are the best team in the league, but... Moving forward, does this defense concern you a little bit because the Cardinals were able to do this and you are going to be facing teams in the playoffs that do have very good weapons, better than what Arizona has? I think that 
it would take an extremely explosive offense that has a really good O-line because you need time to hit those weapons deep and or in the intermediate. But if you try to do intermediate, you're going against freaking Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw. So good fucking luck. You need that O-line to hold up against this pass rush. Now, what teams have dynamic weapons that can get down the field and have a a good O-line that can hold? Well, let's see. The Dolphins have the weapons, not the O-line because of injuries. Um, the Eagles, when everybody is hitting on all cylinders, yeah, okay, you can qualify them, but they have yeah, I'm talking about just their offense. Oh, okay. Um, they have an offense that can do it, but their offensive line has has been playing good. Jalen Hurts has been looking like he's been looking like the Nickelodeon most valuable player instead of the most valuable player. Um, the Cowboys could do that with their O line and their weapons, but I don't trust. Uh, them against the, the Niners. We saw what happened earlier this year. Shit. The, the, Lions. the Chiefs. The Lions have the O-line and the weapons, but I think they're going to pressure Goff too much for him to be effective. The Chiefs, their O-line's good, and Patrick Wilson can do a lot of things, but it's the wide receivers that I don't trust, and you have two linebackers that could take on I think that could take on Kelsey this year. The only team that I could really see holding their own, the Ravens. And we're going to see that Christmas Day. So I think we're, I think the only team that could truly stand up to them, having the O line, they have a quarterback that, that can escape the pressure. They have weapons that can deal. So the Ravens are the only t- team that can consistently go against this Niners team on paper and have a chance of beating them because the other teams I listed, either their old lines aren't good enough or they're a team that has been firing on all cylinders in a hot minute. So it's kind of like, okay, have fun. But with the game, Christian McCaffrey is just solidifying himself as like, what, who, who do we pick as MVP Purdy or Christian McCaffrey? Because they're both playing out of their fucking mind. Purdy's leading the league in passing touchdowns now with 29. He might reach 40 by the time the year is done. 35, easy. And Christian McCaffrey is just on a freaking tear right now. He has 13 rushing touchdowns just by himself. And I think he has, let me see, passing. I'm pretty sure he has, what, six or seven uh, receiving touchdowns as well. So... You're talking almost 20 total touchdowns right there. And Purdy has been playing out of his mind. He's leading all metrics and advanced metrics pretty much his first or second place for a quarterback. And since Dak played like shit against the Bills, Purdy is probably the number one player quarterback-wise leading the NFL for MVP votes. And I think he actually is the favorite to get MVP. So, like, okay, off to the races for the uh, Mr. Irrelevant. But you're right. This was a bit of a trap game. The Cardinals fought hard. I didn't think they would win it, but, you know, they fought hard and they actually put up really good points against the Niners team. And Trey McBride is solidifying himself as one of those young rising tight ends 
that it, hell, if he goes over a thousand yards next year, it wouldn't shock me because he's getting the ball and their coaching staff actually is utilizing him very well, which, you know, I would love to see his stats if he was starting all season and Zach Ertz wasn't the first half of the season. Besides that, I think what really hurt the Cardinals, not a single sack. They couldn't get pressure on Purdy to save his ass or save their ass. So it's kind of like, well, we know what they're going to do in the draft after Marvin Harrison. Pass rush and probably interior or tackle. The only thing that I will say about this game, Jake, before we move on, the Ravens have a pretty solid run game. Now, Keaton Mitchell being injured is definitely going to be a loss, but that is going to open the door for Gus Edwards to basically get the majority of the carries. My only thing about San Fran, Jake, is Arizona did run it 30 times for 234 yards. I would look at that as potentially being an issue for this San Francisco defense because they this is a surprisingly physical showing by the Cardinals. The Ravens will run the ball and after being on the field 72 plays compared to 54 for the 49ers, I at least would be very cognizant of that of potentially, you know, being exhausted and not to mention Jake Kyler Murray, he had a pretty solid rushing day himself. He had six for 49. The Niners defense, their biggest nick, if I could say on them, is running quarterbacks. I would look for Lamar to potentially exploit that this upcoming weekend. I I don't know if I would pick the Niners to beat the Ravens right now. But Jake, moving on to our final game and this was the shared game and a game that i think you and i thought we would see fireworks but we and we did see fireworks but not from who we thought we would see it from now we i picked buffalo you picked dallas buffalo ended up thrashing dallas 31 to 10 dallas got a late touchdown um cd lamb had a rushing touchdown late in the game but for a while it was 31 to 3 and jake My thoughts on this game were pretty simple. Josh Allen had to do absolutely nothing. 7 for 15 for 94 yards and a touchdown. If you saw that stat line for Josh Allen, you would have thought that they got blown out 35-3, 35-10. It was James Cook. It was the James Cook show. 25 carries, 179 yards, and a touchdown on the ground, and two catches at 42 yards through the air with a receiving touchdown. Jake, this was a dominant show. This was a career game for James Cook. He had 221 total yards of offense, or 221 total yards from scrimmage. Just to give you an idea of the game that James Cook had the Cowboys alone had 195 total yards of offense. Buffalo punked Dallas. They absolutely punked them. I Dallas 
They had one sack, Jake. This vaunted Dallas defense had one sack. And I will say this. Credit to Juwan Tom, or no, excuse me, Mozzie Smith, the rookie, ended up getting that sack. Juwan Thomas had a pass defense. But Jake, Dallas, what we're seeing with Dallas is really interesting because we've seen that when they lost to the Eagles, the Eagles were able to run the ball solidly. When they lost to the Cardinals, the Cardinals ran the ball really well. And when they lost to the 49ers, Christian McCaffrey went off. Buff Dallas is having a really big theme. Actually, two. One, outside of Jerry World, they cannot score. They are averaging 18 points less. They average 40 in Dallas. Away from there, they average 22. When you look at a number like that, that lets you know that they needed this one seed, and unless Sam Fran basically loses out, I don't think Dallas is going to be able to get the one seed. Also, Jake, what we're seeing is that for Dallas, they're so susceptible to the run. I mean, James Cook, Jake, we've had conversations off the podcast about James Cook didn't even exist for about a month and a half. Because it was all Josh Allen all the time. Ken Dorsey getting fired has really let James Cook shine through. And we've seen that this Joe Brady offense is also able to put up points in bunches. Even against the even against the Chiefs, they had 20 points. They were up 14 to nothing. I think also, Jake, Stefan Diggs has disappeared in this offense a little bit. Now he had four catches for 48 yards. But he only had five targets. Like I said, Josh Allen threw it 15 times. I would be scared of this Buffalo team because what we're seeing is that their defense, even with injuries, is still playing well. We're also seeing that when they let James Cook, good things happen. Now, Jake, what I want to ask you about Dallas what we're seeing is that their running game is not what we thought it would be. We thought when Tony Pollard, even though he was hurt, we thought he would be this explosive runner when he came back. And because he had the backfield pretty much all to himself, he would be dominant He behind this O-line. He had 11 carries for 52 yards. 4.7 yards a carry is not bad. But Jake, they had a chance to try and get Derrick Henry at the trade deadline. I think that Dallas, Jake, even though that they look great, and I think they probably will win against the garbage NFC South team that they'll probably end up playing because I don't think they'll win the division. Easy. Outside of that, though, Jake, can they beat anyone in this <clears throat> in the NFC if they can run the ball? Because Dallas cannot. I... If they go against a team that has a middle pack to a an elite defense and they have a decent running game, shit, dude. They're one and done. Unless they're in Jerry World, I don't see them doing much. If they have to go on the road, even if they play a good game, they've shown, like you said, 18 less points on average when at home versus on the road. 
That's a massive difference. That is two and a half touchdowns. So it's kind of like, uh, well, shit. I don't like this. And CeeDee Lamb was the only one who got a touchdown in this game for the for the Cowboys. It wasn't even receiving touchdown. It was a fucking jet sweep touchdown. One rush, three yards, one touchdown. It's like, well, uh, this isn't how we thought it would go. It's kind of like, you drafted Mozzie Smith to be a really good nose tackle. You're not letting him play a lot. The one thing that we can say that Dan Quinn has always had trouble with is very good rushing attacks. Because he plays a lot of cover three. Ever since the Seattle days with Legion of Boom. The one thing that always frustrated him was a prolific running game. Hell, Adrian Peterson had one of the best games of his career against that Dan Quinn Legion of Boom defense. So it's kind of like, okay, uh, come on, Dan. If you want to become the potentially next head coach for the Dallas Cowboys, eh, you're going to have to step your shit up. Or the Chargers, yeah. But you need to figure shit out on the defense, and the offense needs to figure out what the fuck's going on. I don't know if, like, they have Michael Jordan's, like, it factor juice at home, but not on the road. You need to take that shit with you on the road because you would probably be eh, 12 and 2, at least 11 and 3, if you figure shit out. So it's kind of like, all right, you're probably going to be the two seat, but if you're playing on the road, you're fucked. So you better hope you're the two seat and not the five seat. I don't even Other think than that, that they would make it. No. Other than that, Dak played like shit. The running game was terrible. Uh, yeah. I will admit one thing. I like your comment on the Joe Brady offense. How they're really getting James Cook, Ty Johnson, Latavius Murray a lot more in there and playing more often. And I think Stephon Dix is going to have to suck it up because there are going to be some games where he'll dominate. Because he gets his he gets his targets. There's gonna be some games where he doesn't get shit because they're gonna rely on the run game and it's gonna be Allen throwing 15 to 20 times, not 30 to 40 times. Now Mozzie Smith, Jake, interesting you brought up his snap count. He actually has played more from week 13. He had six he played 16% of the snaps. For week 14, 24%. He actually played more in week 15, 47% of the snaps, but that was his highest snap total by far and his highest since week 10. So I think what I think Jake is that they're missing Jonathan Hankins. Him being Easy. out is really what's causing them an issue. And because Mozzie Smith is playing more and he's not as dominant as Jonathan Hankins, he's played well. But because mm-hmm. he's not like Jonathan Hankins, who can absorb blocks, it's just a different defense. I think that what we really saw is Jonathan Hankins, we don't think of him as like a big, you know, a big guy in this defense. But that is a the fact that you saw Mozzie Smith 
go from 24% compared to 29 for Jonathan Hankins to then just having Mozzie Smith and this happens, just something to notice and something to think about. But Jake, we're going to move on from this to last night's game, Thursday night football, and a game that really was not as close as the score says. The Rams beat the Saints 30-22. to LA was up 30-7. to if I remember right, heading into the fourth quarter, New Orleans had two late touchdowns to try and make it look close, but overall, it really wasn't. And Jake, I think the story was pretty easy on this one. Alvin Kamara, nine carries, 19 yards. Oh, and five catches for 16 yards off of six targets. Jake, I think that Derek Carr, I'm going to say this right now, Derek Carr is not the best quarterback on the Saints. I think it's Jameis Winston. Now, Chris Olave had a fantastic game, helped your fantasy team, nine catches, 123 yards off of 13 targets. But I think what was even more of an issue with Chris Olave is, yeah, he had that great game, but he had a massive drop early on in the game on third down. And then, for some reason, they decided to go for it on fourth down. And you gave LA the ball back because you couldn't get it at, like, the 40, 45, at your own 45. It really changed the the nature of this game, Jake. Because what we ended up seeing is LA marches down and Demarcus Robinson, who had a hell of a day, Six catches, 82 yards, and a touchdown. Caught all of his targets. They ended up going up, I believe, at that time, it was 14 to nothing, 14 to three. But, or 14, no, I believe it was 14 nothing. Jake, I think this Rams team is really interesting because, one, they, I think their chances of making the playoffs with this win went up to, I believe, 73%. Whereas the Saints, if they had won this game, their chances to make the playoffs would have got up to 70%. Now I think it's like 22, 25. But I think the biggest story of this game, Jake, was Puka Nakua. Nine catches, 164 yards, and he had the first touchdown of the game on a little fourth down, on a fourth down pass about two yards away. But he out-targeted everyone but Cooper Cup, and that, and Cooper Cup had 12 targets, Puka had 11, and Jake, what I also thought was interesting is Matthew Stafford had completions to only four receivers, and he only had, he only threw it to four people, Puka, Demarcus Robinson, Cooper Cup, and Tyler Higby. Now, on the ground, Kyron Williams, 22 carries, 104 yards, and a touchdown, Ronnie Rivers even had a couple rushes, but Puka Nakua, two carries, 16 yards, including a nine-yard rush on third down to end up icing this game, and a, on a rush that he actually was hit in the backfield, spun off, and ended up rushing forward, and he stayed in bounds, which I thought was really big. Jake, the Saints, like I said earlier, I don't think they're that great a team. They're 7-8 and eight now, but... I don't think they win this division in a division that they honestly should have won. I believe you had them finishing second. I thought about picking them, but I thought Carolina could surprise people. 
that's been my worst take of the year. I mean, Derek Carr's stat line looks good, Jake. 27 of 40, 319, three touchdowns, and he did have a pick, an ugly pick. I don't think he saw Jordan Fuller there. But Jake, my question for you is more about the Rams. Do you think the Rams could actually end up beating a team? Could they make a deeper run in the playoffs than we think? Because they're getting hot really late into the season and they're getting hot at the right time. If I'm the 49ers, I don't know if I want to play this team. I think that the Rams are capable of beating everybody in the NFC except the Niners. That is how I feel about it. The Rams have a really good shot of making the playoffs. But at the end of the day, if they face the 49ers, I think they're going to get beat. But if you put up against the Eagles right now or the Cowboys, the other two tanks in the division, uh, I would put I would maybe bet some money on the Rams beating those two teams. But other than that, I mean, they can beat any team in the league in the division or in the conference, honestly, except for the Niners. I think they could give the Niners a run for their money, but I think the Niners have too much talent. And it's kind of going back to a phrase I heard from a podcast I listened to. And it is, it's a, it's coach against coach. That kind of evens out. Sean McVay versus Kyle Shanahan, two great coaches. Okay. You swap right there. At that point, it's about talent. It's a Jimmy's and Joe's type thing because the schemes are going to clash against each other. I think it's going to come to the talent that the Niners have against the Rams talent. The Rams have a good amount of talent, but it's a very young team. The Niners are middle packed age wise team, but they have a shit ton of talent. I think it, I think that it's the Jimmy's and Joe's thing where they will out talent the Rams to a win. But if the Rams make the playoffs, which they have a good shot, I think they'll be, I'll think they'll make it past the wild card, make it to the divisional and either barely squeak by, make the conference or just lose in the divisional to just a team. They just can't compete with if they did face the Niners, but if they face somebody else, you know, I could see them making a conference and then getting beat by the Niners. But if you would have told me that this Rams team from last year would even sniff the playoffs, let alone potentially going to the divisional, I would have thought you would have been smoking something and I would have asked for it. But it kind of just shows you that Les need their GM and Sean McVay, they can flip a switch and they went from fuck them picks to we want all them picks mentality because the amount of young talent on this team that is kicking ass is amazing. Kyron Williams, second year player, kicking ass. Puka Nakua, first year player, kicking ass. Uh, Ernest Jones, really good. Christian Roseboom, good. Aaron Donald, being Aaron Donald's self. And Byron Young and the rest of their young talent is just really doing good work. But at the end of the day, back to the game, Derek Carr played good, efficient football, kind of a daily and a dollar short. 
But you said it best. It was their running attack that they couldn't get going. They had 16 attempts for, eh, let's do some quick math here, for 35 yards. They averaged about 2.2 or 2.3 a carry. And if you take away that from the Saints and it has to become a shootout, they got talent, but they're not going to out talent. They're not going to outshoot most teams. Well, Jake, I think what I would look at if I was mm-hmm. looking at this as a whole, I actually don't, I wouldn't put it past this Rams team to upset San Francisco because they, it is a divisional team and we know that divisional games, for the most part, if they're at least somewhat comparable, they can beat one another. I think that this Rams team, Jake, if you look at their last six games, they, they've they gone 5-1 and one in their last six games, and their one loss in that was a overtime loss to the Ravens. And I'm going to say this right now, Jake, no one would question that the Rams were on, they were the best team on that field in that game and jake in their last five games the lowest point total that they have scored is 28 and i mean it's one of those things jake the reason why i don't rule it out for the rams is because of the fact that they are getting hot at the right time and you see this mixture of young and old talent on defense coming together and actually holding up really really well Because we at least thought that the Saints in the preseason would be a pretty good team once Alvin Kamara came back. They made this team, Jake, look like a JV team. I think they did. I think, Jake, what I want to look at is if I remember right, in that game against the Niners, Puka, he had a ridiculous stat line. I think he had, yeah, he had 15 catches for 147 yards. This defense could not do anything with them. I think, Jake, if you ask me right now, who would be my the team that I think could beat the Niners in the mm. NFC? It would be the Rams and no one else. But Jake, we're going to move on from our recaps for right now. And you had mentioned you had a segment you wanted to talk about. So go ahead. Yes, I did. And the segment I wanted to talk about is because of all the head coach firings that are going to come up, some we've already seen. I want you to give me your most desirable and your least desirable potential head coaching jobs, whether it be the Chargers, the Panthers, the Commanders, the Patriots, potentially, or another team you think that could be a surprise head coach firing or one we've kind of talked about on off camera so it's funny you say that because i actually was gonna do this exact same segment this was my actual plan segment because i was gonna call it our head coach matchmaker and the reason why is because i think right now jake there is only one really good job in this in the league and it is the los angeles chargers with brandon staley now gone And Dean Spanos, I believe they've said that there might be no limitations as far as the power of the head coach. I'm calling Jim Harbaugh, and I'm doing everything I can to get him away from Michigan. 
especially because you Justin Herbert, he hasn't necessarily been injury prone. I think he's got the case of just Chargers-itis, where it seems like if you're a member of the Chargers and you're a star, you get hurt. We've seen it with Keenan Allen. We've seen it now with Mike Williams. We saw it help with Jason Verrett, who was a phenomenal corner for them, but we never saw him on the field because he, it was one torn ACL after another. I think, Jake, that if Justin Herbert is able to be upright, they have a solid tackle. They have Rashawn Slater, who's a solid tackle. I think they will move on from Mike Williams. I think they might move on with Aust from Austin Eckler, which sucks, but Eckler has been hurt and he just hasn't been the same guy. He's had solid touchdown production, but he just hasn't been the same guy that he has been in years past. And Jake, right now, the only real negative I see for the Chargers is their cap situation, but there are ways to remedy that. If I'm Jim Harbaugh and I'm able to get personnel control as well, I'm going to this job at all, all the way. I still have a solid weapon in Keenan Allen, even though he's older. You have a quarterback, a franchise guy in Justin Herbert, who we've seen can go to toe, can go toe to toe with Mahomes, with Allen, with Burrow. We've also, and then you also have a solid corner. You have two pass rushers. Bosa just can't stay healthy ever. But Khalil Mack has played fantastic this year, which I don't think really anyone thought I think Jake what I would look at and this is a little thing with Pete Carroll when he first got the job with Seattle when you take a coach from college like a Pete Carroll a Jimmy Johnson a Jim Harbaugh they have scouted they've scouted all of these players coming in for the next two to three years they know who can play and who can that gives you an advantage in the draft and the Chargers are going to have a top five pick if they keep losing. I don't know. I don't know about you, Jake. I don't trust Eason's stick to throw the Chargers into wins. So they could finish with the fourth or fifth pick. They don't need a tackle. They don't need a quarterback. This draft is loaded with both. I think they could trade down to like 10 and maybe get another first, maybe get a second, because there are going to be teams that are quarterback needy and left tackle needy. I would not be surprised if they could then flip that into, you know, or if they stay, they could get Brock Bowers, the best tight end for Justin Herbert, get him a security blanket because he hasn't really had a tight end like Antonio Gates was for Phillip Rivers. If I'm the Chargers, the my number one guy is Jim Harbaugh. But what do you think? So... I will agree with you. That is definitely the most desirable head coaching position. I wouldn't just to add for GM, not so much because you have four players eating about 70 to 75% of your cap. And you which, have kids in the front office. Yes. You, and those four players uh, and they're aging or injury prone. Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, Khalil Mack, and uh, Joey Bosa. They're either above 30 or they're injury prone or coming off a major injury. So GM wise, not that great of a job head coach wise, because you have a high pick, potentially top five, depending on how 
the Jack, the Chargers do the rest of the year, but easily top 10. Um, you got a star quarterback. You got a good offensive line that's youngish. You got the left tackle. And your defense, okay, not great. They have a lot of star power, but who knows what's going to happen on this offseason. There's going to be a crap ton of cap casualties or trades, in my opinion. But I agree with you. Trade down the draft or stick in the draft and get Bowers or Malik Neighbors or Romo Dunze. There's even rumors that because of the run on quarterbacks and tackles, you could see Marvin Harrison falling to the mid um, top 10 or, or, or late top 10. Imagine if Herbert had Marvin Harrison with him. Uh, go fuck yourself is what I said of the rest of the league because you got a 6'4 guy who's 220 who can run probably low 4'4s, high 4'3s. And really good route running, really good hands. The best player we've seen ever receiver since Megatron. Uh, yeah, you're probably talking about Prime Stafford with more mobility with his Calvin with his own Calvin Johnson now. But, but here's other thing, than that, oh go. So what I was gonna say is, but here's the thing: that's only one job, and I think what is really interesting to talk about is there are three head coaches, head coaching spots that aren't open yet, but will be at the end of the year. Washington, I think that we could, I think Bill Belichick is going to be moved on from in New England. And keep your eye on Mike Tomlin potentially getting fired. Because what we're seeing is we see Matt Canada, who was the scapegoat. We've seen, and I love Mike Tomlin. He's never had a losing season. But he hasn't made it to the playoffs in a while. And when he has made it into the playoffs, they're usually one and done. And with these issues that you're having, as far as now you're questioning effort of players, George Pickens, which uh, don't even get me started on him. I think that he's a delusional loser who he, if he, he talks about not wanting to get hurt like Tank Dell but the difference between him and Tank Dell is at least Tank Dell's not going to quit. And that's what yes. George Pickens is. George Pickens is a quitter. And I think that it could ultimately cost Mike Tomlin his job. But Jake, I want you to real quickly give me your top three candidates to fill those positions. Because I don't think Jim Harbaugh is going to go to either of those three. No, if got? he'd go to any, it would be the Chargers. Exactly, but so, who do you think could fill those three spots? So you said the Commanders, the Steelers, and... The Patriots. The Patriots? Yes. Ben Johnson to the Steelers. Okay. M- Mike McDonald or Lou Anarumo to the Patriots. Keep that strong defensive head coach. Mm-hmm. And for the Commanders... Mm. I really don't know for the commanders because that's kind of a tough one. I think Eric Bieniemy will get promoted to head coach for that one. See, I could definitely see that, but at the same time, if Ben Johnson is available, and we've seen that, remember Jake, the commanders have new owners. 
And Magic Johnson is also in that ownership group and he's going to want to win. I would not be surprised if they spend a little bit more money to try and pry Ben Johnson from Detroit. For the Patriots, Jake, I would think that Gerard Mayo has sort of been the heir apparent to Belichick. I would keep an eye on him to take over the New England job. And then for the Steelers, I do think that if they are unable to get Ben Johnson, I would get Dan Quinn. We've seen that he has been able to be a very good head coach. His teams have been physical. He got a team to a Super Bowl and he had a 28 to 3 lead. Now, you can argue that he also lost them that game, but you could also argue that with Kyle Shanahan, who was his offensive coordinator at the time, and we've seen what he's done with this Dallas team. I mean, Dan Quinn goes from Micah Parsons to TJ Watt and Alex Highsmith. I like the sound of that. I would keep an eye on him finally getting a better head coaching job, and the Roonies like that strong defensive culture. I think Dan Quinn would be the guy for them. But Jake, we're going to move on to our Eyes on 5 predictions for Week 16. Now, last week you went 2-3, and three, I went 3-2. and two. We had two games that we both got wrong, and then I don't know what you were thinking as far as... Or actually... Did you go two and three? Now I have to look back at it. Because I picked the Dolphins. I picked, we both picked the Giants. I picked the Cowboys to beat the Bills. You picked the Bills to beat the Cowboys. No, I believe you went one and four. Oh, yeah, no, shit, went, even worse. Yeah, you went one and four because the only one you got right was the Niners. And I ended up going. Yeah, I went. I ended up going three and two because we were both on the giants. We were both on the Broncos mm -hmm. and then, yeah, but Jake definitely a letdown for both of us because I last week I went five and the week prior I went five and oh, but Jake, what is your first game? Because we have three days of football. We have two games Saturday, a bunch of games Sunday, and then three on Christmas day. <clears throat> what are you going to be keeping your eyes on? So my first game is the battle, well, hopefully the battle of first overall picks, because if Trevor Lawrence can play against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I think it could be a good game. Now, if we see a non-Trevor Lawrence-led Jacksonville Jaguars offense, eh, Tampa Bay, here's the win. Because <laughs> I don't see... Um, the Jacksonville Jaguars being able to do much unless Lawrence plays. And it looks like Lawrence will play, but he still has to clear concussion protocol. But he is practicing, so there's a decent chance at it. So I'm going to say, hypothetically, let's go with Trevor Lawrence actually plays this game. You are seeing a Jacksonville Jaguar offense that needs to bounce back. And you have a hungry Tampa Bay team that is trying to increase the lead on their division. And you are seeing a Baker Mayfield resurgence this year. You could say this is the best year of his career. He is 24 touchdowns to eight picks. The last time we had those stats was when he had the Browns at 11 and five. And he marched into Heinz Field and beat the Steelers. 
That is the last time we saw him play this good. And he is having the best completion percentage of his career outside of his rookie year. So it's kind of like, damn, okay, he is doing really good work. And the Tampa Bay defense is nothing special like they used to be under Brady and under the last year of Jameis. But they still have star power, and they can still fight. And Mike Evans is still kicking ass at his old age. Chris Godwin's coming off a very good performance. And Kate On's emerging as a really good tight end for them. And Rasheed White is very untalked about. 840 yards rushing, 400 and I think 80 yards receiving with nine total touchdowns, averaging 4.3, 4.4 yards a carry. He is damn good for this offense in limited capacity so far. Um, I, even if Lawrence plays this game, unless he can actually play very good and this Jacksonville offense can figure their shit out, this might just be a Tampa Bay win. It very well could be. And here's the thing with the Jacksonville Jaguars, Jake, is their issue has been, they have been very inconsistent, especially at their star players. We've seen Calvin Ridley have games where he can go off for 150 yards and two touchdowns, and then he will absolutely disappear from the stat sheet entirely. Now, Travis Etienne, he did have that streak where he was scoring basically a touchdown every game, but that has since cooled off. And Trevor Lawrence, Jake, 18 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. He has not been what we thought he would be this year. Remember, I had them potentially as the number one seed, and they still have a chance to lose this division. They are tied with the Texans. Jake, I think for this game, if Trevor Lawrence does play, it's going to come down to the turnover battle. Now, Baker Mayfield, he has had a career resurgence in Tampa Bay, and early on, it did not look good for Baker. Early on in the season, he had just some awful decision-making, did not make any sense, but what we've seen is he and Mike Evans have a rapport. Mike Evans has is over a 1,000 yards, Jake, and he has 11 touchdowns. I think that it's going to come down to who makes more mistakes because the Jaguars, for a little while, they were leading the league, I think, in turnover differential. They were taking the ball away at a very rapid pace, but we've seen that course correct and overcorrect because Trevor Lawrence, Jake, I think he also has like double-digit fumbles, which you don't want that at your quarterback to have double-digit picks and double-digit fumbles. Now, I think, Jake, overall, this game could be very, very close. Tampa is favored by one and a half. I don't necessarily disagree, even though Jacksonville is 5-1 on the road, whereas Tampa has struggled at home. They're 500 at home, but they're also a 500 team, so what? that doesn't make that much of a difference. But Jake, I think this is going to be a really good game. It could honestly go either way. That's why it's only 1.5. But Jake, moving on to my first game, and Jake... This game is very interesting to me, mainly because of the fact that I don't really know what to make of these two teams right now, and it is actually the Raiders heading into Arrowhead to take on the Chiefs. 
Now, Jake, this is a game that the Chiefs, honest, they have to win in order to try and get to that number one seed. Right now, they are behind the Dolphins, and they are also behind Baltimore in record. But, Jake, the reason why I'm so curious about this game is what Raiders are we going to get? Because we've seen the Raiders go from getting shut out in a 3-0 game that they lose to Josh Dobbs, where Josh Dobbs got benched and Nick Mullins came in to win the game for or the Vikings. And then we see the Raiders score 63 points and we're up 42-7 at halftime over, you know, over a team that we didn't really think a ton of. But we thought the Chargers were at least talented. But Brandon Staley got fired, and we know that he's not very smart. Jake, the Chiefs need this win because they need to be able to try and clinch the division. They, I don't think they can clinch the division yet, but if the Raiders, the Raiders could end up playing spoiler here. They very well could end up playing spoiler here. Now, if I look at the playoff clinching scenarios right now the chiefs cannot clinch a playoff spot but if the raiders lose they will be eliminated from playoff contention now or excuse me here we go the chiefs will clinch the division if they win or with a tie and denver losing so Kansas City needs to win this game. If they lose, you still have the door open for Denver, who is playing a Patriots team that is not that great. Now, Jake, what I find interesting about this game is the Chiefs are favored by 10 at home. I would take the Raiders and the points. Remember, the Raiders were up 14 to nothing against this Chiefs team before they rattled off 31 unanswered. I think, Jake, it's going to come down to the receivers for the Chiefs. Does Rasheed Rice continue his sort of emergence and breakout as the Chiefs' number one? And can Travis Kelsey still be at least a difference maker, not so much a game-changer game wrecker? Because for the Raiders, Aino O'Connell, while he didn't have the best numbers against the Chargers in that 63-point performance, he still had four touchdown passes. Jake, what do you think about this game? Because I'm very interested. This game could be kind of like the trap game of the week. Because Josh Jacobs is back off injury. Michael Mayer is not back yet. So they might be out without their star tight end. Devontae's healthy. So you have majority of your weapons for this Raiders offense. It really depends on how the Raiders O-line handles the Jets' pass rush. And how often is Spagnolo going to send Trent McDuffie on a cornerback blitz? Because he seems to be doing that two or three times a game about. And McDuffie gets home. If not, he's going to get his fucking pressure. So... I don't know. I think if Aiden O'Connell can stand tall in the pocket, deliver good shots downfield to Devontae, 
to Jacoby Myers and <clears throat> Trey Tucker. Yeah, and Trey Tucker coming out of freaking nowhere. And if Josh Jacobs can at least do, I'd say, four yards a carry, even if he gets 3.7, 3.8 yards a carry, give him about 15 to 20 touches in the run, three to five in the passing game. Give him 18 to 25 total touches, maintain clock, keep that Chiefs offense off the field, tire that defense out. You have a chance. But you need to deal with Mahomes and his bullshit magic. You need to have Robert Spillane take on Kelsey and just hit him hard and hit him often. Have Kelsey get tired, then you're down Kelsey. Rasheed Rice, you're probably going to have to blanket coverage on him. So it's like, okay, have Nate Hobbs have one of your outside corners take on Rasheed with some safety help or linebacker help. And after that, I don't know. I would say the Chiefs have a better shot at winning this than the Raiders do, but it's a divisional game and we don't know what can happen. Yeah, I would definitely think that, Jake, we've seen Kadarius Tony have a few gaffes in consecutive weeks I'm not saying that he's going to have a gaffe or a mental mistake here, but last week they were in firm control against the Patriots and his drop led to an interception and he at least cracked the door for the Patriots to potentially open and make a comeback. Now, obviously they didn't because Bill Belichick's time management was god-awful, but... I'm not ruling this out. Now, I will say this. The Raiders are 1-5 on the road this year. They've definitely leaned on that Vegas home field. But the Chiefs haven't been great at home. They're only 4-3. and three. I would definitely say, Jake, this is going to be a very interesting game. But, Jake, let's move on to your second game. What you got? So, my second game is going to be another... It's going to be another game that decides playoff contention for the AFC. And it is the Cleveland Browns at 9-5 and five versus the Houston Texans at 8-6. and six. The Texans are in a very weird three-way tie with the other two in the division being the Colts and the Jags. It is literally coming out of these last three weeks to see... Which one of these guys gets to the playoffs? Who's the division winner? And who's going to be the unfortunate sack kicked out? So, and it really sucks. CJ Stroud is ruled out again because of concussion protocol. You can definitely tell he got his bell rung two weeks, a a week and a half ago. Yeah, it was. And I'm glad D'Amico is playing it safe. He is like... We got a hell of a quarterback right here. I can call our defense really good and make up for the lack of our offense with either Case Keenum, CJ, or Davis Mills, whoever is that there. And our running game has been picking up these last couple weeks. So strong defense, good run game. That is what the Texans are having to do right now in light of not having Stroud. The Browns, however... They have to have Joe Flacco play clean football. 
because they're going against a really strong defense in the Texans. And with how injured that offensive line is for the Browns and not having a mobile quarterback, uh, he might get hit often. And here's a fun stat for you. Joe Flacco is the oldest starting quarterback in the league. Yeah, he was on his couch. Yeah, he is 38 and a half. He is the oldest starting quarterback this season, if you don't count the four snaps Aaron Rodgers played. But this could be... I don't know, man. I think it determines, like, can Case Keenum limit mistakes and play decent football? I think he can. And can Flacco evade pressure or at least hold up long enough to get a quick game going? And is he going to play at least mostly mistake-free football? Because you had three picks last week. If you do that against this Texans defense, you're not winning this game. You're not. And Jake, what I find very interesting about this game is that the Browns, if they win, they're in. Now, there's a ton of scenarios that get them in, but all of them end up be all of them require a win. Now, Jake, CJ Stroud and Will Anderson are both out. The, your two big, your number two overall and number three overall picks this year, with them being out, that at least limits the issues that this Cleveland offense will have and this Cleveland defense will have. And Nico Collins is qu- still questionable with that calf injury, but if he plays, that at least gives Case Keenum one of his star weapons because Tank Dell. He's been out. He's out for the year. And do you really lean on? Do you really trust Noah Brown, Jake? Because I don't. But I think, Jake, the biggest story of this game is going to be Joe Flacco. Last week, he did have three picks. But before that, Jake, before that heading into that game, he had five touchdowns to, I believe, two interceptions. Yeah, five touchdowns, two picks. And in the three-ish games that he's played, he's averaging 313 yards a game. So we have seen that he has still been very effective through the air. And the biggest recipient of those touchdowns has been David Njoku. I think that the Texans, if they want to win this game, they're going to have to keep Njoku out the end zone because you know that Flacco is going to be looking for him. And Flacco has always had a very solid tight end, Jake. He had Dennis Pitta. He had Owen Daniels for a little while. And then he still had, you know, Max, what, Max Williams and Crockett Gilmore for a little while. He loves the tight end position. I think Njoku is going to be the one guy that really, really benefits against this Texas defense that hasn't been great against tight ends. Now, Cleveland's favored by three, Jake. I would probably take the points and, or I would probably swallow the points, excuse me, and take Cleveland in this situation if I was betting because I just don't trust Case Keenum right now because while he had, remember, he did lead a team to the conference championship, but he also got smacked in that game. He was not effective. Mm -hmm. He lost 38 to seven. I think that overall, Jake, this is a game that Cleveland should win. 
and they should make the playoffs because of it. They should clinch a playoff berth. And Jake, imagine this. Who would have thought that Joe Flacco, honestly, at some times, has looked better than the $230 million fully guaranteed man, Deshaun Watson. But moving on to my second game, Jake, and this is a game that we would have picked had it been, had not for our shared game be on Christmas Day. And I'm picking the 125 window game of the week, Cowboys, Dolphins, a game that both teams really, really need. Now for the Cowboys, they need to show that they can beat a winning, a team with a winning record. Currently, their best win, Jake, is against the Eagles. And it was a game that the Eagles just plain looked bad. That's their only quote-unquote quality win. And in games where they faced like winning, like playoff teams, like teams with winning records in like really important situations, they're 0-5. Now, granted, congratulations, you beat the Eagles a few weeks ago, but then you lay an egg against the Bills. You, I believe, Jake, on the road against winning teams, they're 0-5 in their last five games. I believe that's the stat. Now, for Dallas, they cannot do anything as far as, like, the top seed, anything like that. But the Dolphins, if they win, they clinch a playoff berth. Now, if they're a bunch of shit with ties, they can make it. But, Jake, even more important, if the Bills lose on Saturday against the Chargers and Miami wins, they clinch the division. This is a game that would allow them to be in position still for the top overall seed. Jake, the in the road and home split for the Dolphins, they are 6-1 at home, 4-3 and three on the road. Now, you could also argue they've played a bunch of mediocre teams at home, but, Jake, in December and January, do you really want to go to hot, sweaty, muggy Miami, where it's so, th the mugginess is so thick you can barely breathe? And say if you're a Baltimore, you're a cold-weather team. I don't want to go there. I would look at this as a very big game for the Dolphins, especially also Tyreek Hill is expected to return in this game, Jake. I know you're looking at that for fantasy, but with what we saw last week from Jalen Waddle, Jake, now I'm very worried about Dallas's corners because while Stefan Gilmore has been holding it down, Deron Bland has shown that he can be torched. The only reason the Bills really didn't is because they didn't have to because the running game was wide open. And Raheem Boster and Devon Achan, Jake, can absolutely take advantage of this Dallas defense, which the reason why Dan Quinn defenses, Jake, have been so susceptible to the run in his history is he relies primarily on speed over power. Marquise Bell and their other linebackers, Jake, are like 205, 210-pound linebackers. If you can get O-linemen on them like that, Oh yeah, you can push anyone around. 
Now, Jake, notable injuries for this game. Jonathan Hankins is going to be out again for Dallas. We mentioned that could be a big, big injury missing. And Tyron Smith is doubtful with a back injury. Now for the Dolphins, Robert Hunt is out again with that hamstring injury. And they still have a lot of people questionable. But again, you know my rule, Jake. If you're questionable, if you have a lot of people questionable, about half of them will play. You have seven people questionable. Javon Holland's on there. Xavier Howard's on there. Tyree Kill's on there. I think they'll all play. But Jake, what do you think about this game? This game is, uh, you said it best. These are two teams fighting for the first, to potentially be the first seat, or at least the second seat, which I think the Dolphins having the second seat, I wouldn't say it's locked in, but eh, they have a better chance of almost anybody to, to block in that second seat better than most. So I also think that if Tyreek Hill doesn't play this game, because there's a chance he could not play again, you're going to see Devon Achan and Raheem Mostert just eat the shit out of this defense. There is one solution they could do. Let's move, hypothetically, let's have Micah Parsons go back to outside linebacker instead of being more of a DE. You have him play more free range than just being purely on the line. That could solve some things. Have him blitz in the B gap or whatever gap they're trying to shoot. Or if they're doing an outside run scheme, have him shoot the outside. Because he's definitely fast enough and powerful enough to deal with that. Do I think that's going to happen? Eh, probably not. But I think it's something that could ha they should that they probably should do to try to figure this run games uh, on their defense out. Other than that, uh, they're really missing Leighton Vander in my opinion, for this, because when he was on the field, they can at least contain the run to more moderate tant, more moderate spurts than just getting completely cooked for almost 200 rushing yards by James Cook of all running backs. But the Cowboys, they're going to have to shoot their shots hard and they're going to have to shoot them often because if they don't they're going to get outscored by Miami and it ain't going to be pretty it's going to be another Buffalo Bills game from last week other than that I mean if Dak can play mistake-free football and they can at least maintain a semblance of a run game they have a chance of winning this but Miami has the better shot here because they have majority of their defense being healthy Bradley Chubb's coming off a dominant game. Brandon Jones is looking like his former self. You have Xavier Howard and Jalen Ramsey playing very good football. Javon Holland might be out, but from what I'm seeing, all signs are pointing to him starting. And unless the Cowboys can get Tua early and often, Dolphins have a better shot of winning this than the Cowboys. Absolutely. Now, Jake, we're going to move on to our final game of this Eyes on 5, and this is the shared game, and it is the Super Bowl preview that we had mentioned earlier on in the podcast. Ravens, 49ers, they're heading to, Ravens are heading to Santa Clara, and Jake, this game, 
I'm going to just sum it up pretty quickly. I'm going to give about two, three minutes of my thoughts. The Ravens absolutely, I think, can win this game. And I think that they will. And the reason why is because I think that they can run the ball against this defense. Like I said, the Cardinals were able to get 234 yards rushing. The only difference is they weren't able to get the points. The Ravens don't have that issue. And Jake, you're fighting strength versus strength. The Ravens are 6-1 away, and the Niners are 5-1 at home. I think, though, Jake, this is going to decide who the best team in the league is because you have the number one seeds in both conferences facing off, which we don't always get. Now, playoff the playoff implications, Jake, are also very, very massive because the Niners could clinch the one seed this week if they win and Dallas, Philly, Detroit lose. All of those are actually possible, but the Niners could also absolutely lose this. Now, if the Ravens win and the Browns lose, then they clinch the North and then they are going to be just about one game out of being the top seed. Now, remember, Jake, Baltimore and Miami do play each other, and that will probably decide the top seed in the AFC. But, Jake, I think what I look at for this 49ers team, Brock Purdy has a chance of establishing himself and cementing himself as the MVP in this game if he has another performance like he did last week. 250 yards, four touchdown passes, he's efficient, and he doesn't turn the ball over. But Christian McCaffrey could cement his if he has another 120, 130 yards rushing and two, three touchdowns. I think, Jake, this is going to ultimately come down to three MVP candidates because we can't discount Lamar either. His numbers may not be overly flashy, but we have to remember... Lamar's offense, they know they can put up points and they absolutely can give you moments. I think that's what is going to be a big thing, Jake. This is a big spot. Christmas Day, prime time, ESPN. Everyone's going to be watching. Lamar, if he has a three, four touchdown performance, he's definitely going to put into question Brock Purdy's MVP conversation talk and he's going to insert himself into it what do you think um yeah this definitely will be determined by those three mvp candidates and it's going to be like which one's going to play best so <clears throat> i think this might be a game we might see mccaffrey get not shut down but limited because you have patrick queen arguably the best lineback inside linebacker this year and you have Kyle Hamilton so you have two really good players at stopping running backs and tight ends so you got that you also have Geno Stone who hasn't had a pick in a while and he's probably hungry for one so who knows he might get one and he's been pretty good at covering tight ends and running backs himself not on the level of Hamilton or Queen. Um, yeah. Well, not Queen is actually really good himself since they moved him to outside backer with Smith playing middle linebacker. Queen's oh, yeah, having a resurgence. Ball. 
So I think there's one aspect you didn't think of, you didn't mention. You might have thought about it, but you didn't mention it. All right. The interior O-line for the for the Niners is nothing special. I'd say average at best. The only thing keeping this thing together is Trent Williams being at left tackle. So they and the Ravens have a not even a secret weapon anymore in Justin Matabuike. He has been wrecking interior lines like a motherfucker this year. He's looking like almost primary Donald because of how good he's been this year. He's probably going to be an all pro. And you have that guy going against a, a average at best interior and a quarterback that does not like interior pressure. Yeah. Matabuike might be the unsung hero for the Ravens in this game because he's probably going to be going after Purdy early and often and almost all game. And besides that, you have Jadavion Clowney doing really good this year. He's been really good at stopping the run his entire career. You also have Kyle Van Noy in, in situational pass rush. He's been kicking ass. So I think this is going to be more of a Ravens defense trying to stop the San Francisco offense because I think Lamar and his weapons can do good enough to stop the Niners defense. I think it's like I said, just right then and there, it's going to be Ravens defense versus the 49ers offense is going to be the storybook matchup for this game. So it's funny you say that because what I was about to say after I let you go was keep an eye on Justin Matabike who has been an absolute game wrecker. I'm so glad you brought him up because, Jake, we talked about it a couple weeks ago. There was a game where the Ravens' defense had 10 quarterback hits, and he had five, along with two sacks. I think if I look at this 49ers offense, that is the one weakness, I would say. Their O-line is their interior. solid, but guard center guard, like you said, there's nothing really all that special. That could be what we end up seeing. But Jake, let's get your picks for our five games. We have Jaguars, Bucks, Raiders, Chiefs, Browns, Texans, Cowboys, Dolphins, and Ravens 49ers. I'm going to take the Buccaneers over the Jags. I'm going to take the Texans over the Browns. I'm going to take the Chiefs over the Raiders, the Dolphins over the Cowboys, and I'm going to take the Ravens over the 49ers. All righty. So I have Bucks, Chiefs, Texans, Dolphins, Ravens. Yep. All righty. I am going to be taking the Bucks over the Jaguars as well. I just don't know if Trevor Lawrence plays. And Baker has had a career resurgence. I'll trust him in this spot. Look for Mike Evans to have a big game, potentially against a defense that could be without Tyson Campbell and Andre Sisco. I am actually going to go upset here. I'm going to take the Raiders over the Chiefs because I just don't trust this receiving core outside of Rasheed Rice. And this Raiders defense has stepped up really well, albeit against a Chargers team that we don't really trust. I like the Raiders to play spoiler here. I'm going to take the Browns over the Texans because Stroud and Anderson being out. I'm going to trust Joe Flacco to carve up this defense and target the 
corner opposite Derek Stingley. Give me Cleveland. I'm going to take the Dolphins over the Cowboys because I think their speed is going to give Dallas issues. I just think that they're going to be able to take Micah Parsons out of this game. And Jake, I think that Tyreek is going to go for 200. That's my bold prediction. I think he can go over 200 going up against Deron Bland and potentially keep himself on pace for 2,000 yards. And I'm going to take the Ravens over the 49ers because I just don't trust the Ravens' run defense or their interior line like we talked about with Justin Matabike. But Jake, for our closing thoughts and our final little moment, how do you feel about your playoff matchup in fantasy this week? You had a solid little day with Chris Olave. What do you think about us potentially facing each other for a third time it or excuse me a fourth time in the championship? You know, honestly, it really depends because if Tyreek Hill doesn't play, I mean, I could pivot and go to Tyler Lockett or potentially go to move one of my running backs in Kenneth Walker or David Montgomery, but I have the Colts defense, Dustin Hopkins, top three at uh, kicker. I have TJ Hawkinson healthy. I got Joe Mixon coming off a really good game. Pacheco is going against a terrible Raiders uh, running get defense. And I got Murray against the Chicago Bears. So, I mean, I like my odds, but anything could happen. It's football. Yeah, you're on a seven-game win streak, and hey, that fairy tale run could be ended, especially because our buddy Colton, who you're facing, you always play each other to within about two or three points. I feel pretty confident in my odds, Puka Nakua and Kyron Williams giving me a total of 49. Puka had a chance for another touchdown and about nine points, nine, ten points there. Probably should have had 42, but... C'est la vie. I think that, Jake, my biggest thing is I don't know if Saquon Barkley is startable right now. I'm leaning between him. I am leaning between Devon HN, and I'm also leaning between Austin Eckler, who has been boomer bust for me. He had 21, and then he had six. So... Uh, I really hope that C.D. Lamb doesn't go off because that would absolutely screw me. But that's going to wrap things up for this episode of Run Past the Brain Cell. Thank you all for listening. You can check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to follow so you never miss an episode. And for Jake Miller, I'm Adam Skirko. We'll see you next time. Take care. Take it easy.